Hello, welcome to another episode of I Love Rock and Roll. I'm Ken Krantz. And I am Chip Chantry. And we have two uh, pretty amazing guests with us tonight. Um, our first guest is an MTV icon, the first Latina VJ, the first Latina spokesperson for Revlon, actress, comedian, award show host, Daisy Fuentes. And uh, with her, he's sold 30 million albums worldwide, uh, songwriter, producer, 14 number one singles, and legitimately the best Twitter account out there to follow. Yeah. <laughs> Please welcome Richard Marks. Thank you all so much for Gentlemen, coming. We're happy to see you. Happy to be with you. I would say that I am completely surprised that uh, you guys agreed to do this interview, but that would be a lie. I Richard Marks this shit into existence. <laughs> I've and never I'll... seen this man more confident in the past couple of weeks. <laughs> He's just like, I read the book. I'm doing this, and he, he and he made it happen. He willed it to happen. I did. Well, I said, as as soon as we saw that you were putting out the book, I said, we'll get JL to read it. We'll have JL on. JL will tweet it. Richard and Daisy will hear it, and then they'll come on. I well, Richard exactly, Marks that shit. You did Richard Marks that shit, and that's exactly what happened. And you took a page right from my life story, and you made it your own. Yes, yeah, and by the way, um, your book, Stories to Tell, is I, I'm not blowing smoke up your ass. I was amazed at how much I love that book. Con considering um, how you just Richard, I don't call it vision boarding anymore. I just call it Richard Marxing. Like you just Richard Marxed your whole life and career into existence. Like everything you wanted to do. It got to the point reading the book, I was just like, can, can fucking one thing not happen for this dude that he tries <laughs> to make happen? And you so far, no. Yeah. No, I was like, I got, you know, I, I mean, it started when you were a kid, when you were like, oh, Davy Jones is my favorite monkey. He'd be cool to meet. And then like, you know, fast forward and you're hanging out. Somebody set you up to, oh, we heard Richard Marks likes Davy Jones. And and you're you're meeting Davy Jones. I pretty yeah, pretty much started then at five years old. Um, yeah. I have to say, you guys, you know, my uh, Twitter friendship with JL, which began during COVID, you know, the sort of in the early days of COVID. It, it is why we're talking today. But Daisy and I, um, you know, he tweeted about this interview he did with you guys, and and he referenced that that you guys have spoken about me. And so Daisy and I were driving to dinner and we had like a 40 minute ride. So I said, let's listen to this podcast. And we were laughing so hard at the constant ref. The, you guys never referred to me as Richard. Right. You only <laughs> refer to me as Richard Marks. Yes. <laughs> and that's what Daisy Quintus calls me. That is that right. That's so funny because it seems disrespectful to call you anything else. And then. <laughs> And then this morning I was on YouTube watching some of your tequila talks and yeah. I noticed Daisy only calls you Richard Marks over and yeah. over. So um, I kind of feel like you guys and Daisy obviously started it, but the fact that you guys have followed her lead, I kind of like, you know how you, you were saying I'm Richard Marks this shit. What I'm Richard Marksing right now is that within 18 months, everyone only refers to me as Richard Marks, even my kids. Yeah. 
Yeah, oh, that I would think be it good. Needs to happen. I'm pretty yeah. sure they do. Richard Marks, am I still in your will? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> just do that like your preferred pronouns, just Richard yeah. slash Marks, yeah. and it's yeah. got to be. Or do like the, I'm going to start even referencing myself that way. Like, I don't know if you ever Third saw that person. clip. Yeah, like that clip of uh, when Ellen DeGeneres had Dennis Quaid go into a Starbucks and, and announced, Dennis Quaid is here. I'm going to just start doing that. <laughs> Richard Marks has entered the building. I, yeah. I think that's what you need to do from now on. We'll start. I mean, we will continue the trend and we will have people have people do that. That's from our end. We will work that. But we'll we sure loved we loved that interview with JL so much. And we were laughing hysterically as if we were eavesdropping on a conversation about us. Oh, so that's, laugh. that's so that cool has to, to hear. Be it's so yeah. fun to, to hear other people's take on on something that you are you've been talking about for so long. Mm-hmm. Like Richard and I have really been discussing the book. You know, he would read it to me as as he would go along with it. And and even like our friends and family when they refer to certain parts of the book, it's never like it like it's really great to be a fly on the wall. Yeah. It was funny. It it was good and it was funny. Have you have you had interactions with anybody especially who's in the book or that views that that maybe approaches you differently now because they feel like they know you a little bit better or just see saw a different side of you have you noticed that at all not really but partly i think that's because unlike if this book had come out at any other time i would have been out doing a book tour and promoting it and being up close and personal with people which i wasn't able to do um, sure it'll be interesting to see when I go back on the road and things, you know, if they ever fucking get back to normal, if people, I have had a few people mention in so, on social media that they feel like they know me in a different way or know me better. And I also have, uh, because I referenced this illness that I had, uh, that was recurring illness, which is totally gone. Uh, but you know, I've been, I've been diagnosed by any, like a countless number of Twitter followers. They seem, <laughs> they seem to know what, what the head of the infectious disease at Cedar sinai Hospital and um, UCLA Medical Center couldn't figure it out. So I, I applaud them. Thank, yeah. yeah, thank you. I mean, that's where I go for all of my health needs is Twitter. I mean, yeah. everybody's an expert, oh, yeah. so that's where I'm. <laughs> I go there for, for scientific information and for political advice. I, I, oh Daisy, yeah, that's that's the, that's the way to do it. We, and now, <laughs> yeah, obviously, we all know each other now. I think we can all be open, and we all can all say that the vaccine is a hoax, and of course, it's gonna it, it plants microchips in our brain. So let's oh, we, yeah. we, we all know that we've read that. Let's get to the next step and just try to convince other people not to get it because I think yeah. that, I mean that's what our that's what our agenda is here tonight, and I think that's the that's, yeah. I'm a little confused because there are some people saying though that scientifically, whatever that means, it's a good thing, and that you know. They're, they're all over the place, you know. I call those people sheep is what they are. Yeah, yeah, exactly. yeah. yeah. I think that's what, I'm glad yeah. we're getting down to business yeah. here. Well, they're sheep and they don't care about their freedom. Yeah. Freedom is more important than anything else. I, yeah, there, was yeah. a, there was a video today. I didn't see the whole thing, so I have to watch it. But there was a very nice gentleman on the, I think, the New York subway screaming at a poor woman who was wearing a mask and he's screaming about his freedom in her face. And I thought that's... I saw it. Yeah, that's the most uh, amazing uh, irony. Right well, there. that was very patriotic. It really was. I think. It, it really also, was. Also, that's very patriotic. Also, let's face it, nothing screams tough guy like a guy, like a middle-aged man accosting an elderly woman on the subway. America. 
America, yeah. right? There. I mean, it does feel like it, but you hear that, and then part of you does go like maybe New York's bouncing back finally. <laughs> they have returned. They have returned. It's getting back to normal. Yeah. Uh, you know what, uh, Richard Marx? I I do want to thank you though. Um, <laughs> I, I do want to thank you for, um, I thought what you did, and I, I'm sure this wasn't your intention, but what you did for J.L. Covan, the, in my opinion, not only the best Trump impression in the business, yes. it's really yeah. the only good one. He's, he's, yes. the, he's the only one that's, that's got every nuance down. But um, I would agree. What you did for him, like by shining a spotlight on him and, 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 you know, he blew up during COVID and, and you would, you would a lot to do that, to do with that. And, uh, JL is one of the good ones and his comics, when, when you see one of your own, you know, kind of catapult like that and, and you actually like them and it's, it's somebody that, that you're rooting for. It's, uh, it's cool to see. So thank you for doing that. Hey, you know, I just. There have been a few people who have caught my attention during this last year and a half when we really just needed to laugh a bit. And he he's brilliant. I mean, his 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 uh, talent beyond the Trump impersonation. Is yeah. He's a really, really funny writer and comedian. And so I any the little that I've interacted with him sort of on the phone or just, you know, off you know, not publicly, he really seems like a really stand-up guy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, a really, really good guy. And there's another guy named George Hahn who's not even a comedian, but he's just rocked our worlds in terms of making us laugh our asses off. If you don't follow him on Twitter, you should. Is he the um, one he just put out the video? You might have even been the one who retweeted it, where he it looks like he's standing in New York and he's like, I'm not getting yes. the facts. And that's so oh, funny. I did, I did just see just that. reels you in. So I was like, yeah. who is this asshole? You gotta what, go to his what a team. jerk. Yeah. He, he, he sort of coined this phrase, for me... Like, yes, of course, the scientists all say that the vaccine is safe and that it's really the key to getting us back to normal. But for me, it's my freedom. <laughs> you know what? He's just a really great personality. Yeah. And I think that, you know, thanks to his Twitter and what he's done with it this past year, I could totally see him ending up on a talk show because I think he's got a good perspective and he's funny. Mm -hmm. But now going back to what you said about um, Richard Marks supporting people (laughs) and shining a spotlight on people. One of the things I love the most about Richard Marks is that he is really generous with that, with his friends, um, with his, uh, with your, contemporaries with your colleagues yes and and i don't see it as much the other way around you know he will constantly hype up his his Mm -hmm. friends and and fellow musicians and it's very rare and i really like that about you i love you (laughs) i've always i think that comes from i think it's a good good way to be you know i there are even people who uh i've given huge props to who have never acknowledged it, which is fine because that's not the purpose. The right. purpose yeah. is for people to go, hey, you know, mm-hmm. I, I love when I tell people about a, a song or a record or a stand-up special or whatever. Um, just spread the love. But also know? I think going back to what you were saying about manifesting, I think that that is the key to manifesting is it comes back to you. Yeah. You know, when you're kind and when you're genuinely generous and uh, uh 
loving about someone and you're hyping someone up and you're genuinely happy for them, it comes back to you. Right. Absolutely. And like, I don't consider myself to be a super spiritual person or whatever, but it's just, it's about that energy, putting that positivity out there. Even if something is as horrendous as Twitter, which I do love, but just to put that positive energy out there, it, it's going to come back to you. It, it is cyclical. It, you know, people are going to see that and they're going, Oh, Richard March, really nice guy. He's look at that. And then it just, it just sheds a, a light on those people that, that do those nice things. As negative as it is, I think it can really be a, a positive. Can I thing, tell so. you recently, I had one of the rare cases of it in reverse. Um, I, I'm, I'll go, I'll go on record here saying I'm not the biggest fan of Joe Rogan or his podcast, but, um, he had Jacob Dylan on as a guest mm-hmm. a couple of weeks ago. Actually, it was like the week that my book came out, so the week of July 6th in that time period. And my manager called me and said, did you hear about this Joe Rogan podcast? I was like, fuck, what did he say? And he went, no, 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 he was interviewing Jacob Dylan, and Jacob Dylan gave you a shout out about your book, and he's reading your book, and he really loves your book. And, you know, I went to Spotify because they have it on video there. Mm-hmm. And he just randomly, I, don't, I didn't know Jacob Dylan. And he randomly gave me this wonderful shout out about my book and they put the cover of the book up on the screen. And, and this was, you know, it, it particularly impressive because Jacob was using really valuable time on a huge promotional opportunity for his album to mention me. Yeah. He doesn't even know. Well, now, right. you know, we've become, you know, friendly. We've talked on the phone. We're going to go have coffee together. He seems like a really, really super cool guy. And I... And I now sort of have forged an acquaintance with him uh, just because he was kind, you know, and he seems like a really, really cool guy. And it, Absolutely. It, it seems like in reading the book, it seems like you would a lot of people do that for you. And like uh, Lionel Richie, like Lionel Kenny Richie. Rogers, like you, you had yeah. people that recognized something in you and and helped open some doors. I mean, you had the talent and the work ethic to blow sure. through the doors, but um, it seems like you sort of didn't forget that you had people doing the same thing for you. And it's I love seeing that when comics do that for each other. I, I love seeing artists that they, they get to another level help the people behind them. It's amazing. Yeah. It's amazing. And... Those guys you just mentioned, particularly Lionel, you know, I can't, words can't describe. I tried to really convey it in the book and I've, one of the best parts of writing the book and particularly promoting the book has been the ability to just talk about Lionel Richie to everyone who will listen because I want people to know that he was such a catalyst in my career and in my life and that he's, you know, I always say Lionel Richie is everything you want him to be. Because I don't think there's anyone who knows who Lionel Richie is who would say, oh, that guy seems like a dick. (laughs) Right. And he really is just the sweetest, kindest, most gracious, generous. Like, And I want everybody to know that that's really who he is. And and I don't understand why people aren't – I mean, I guess I can see why people aren't. But he obviously did that out of the kindness of his heart for you. But I'm sure to to him – he saw a huge talent in you. So he's not going to waste that on just anybody. If he got – Richard Marx's demo out demo and thought it was garbage. I mean, he might be nice and gracious, but he's not going to give you that leg up. So I'm sure he saw that in you and that, that had to be such a validating experience too. for Yeah. Him that's, that, that's fair enough. And that, yeah. that's true, but he really did go beyond the call. I mean, he, 
then, you know, aside from hiring me as a background singer on his records, he recommended me to Kenny Rogers, who I ended up singing on his records. And then that led to my songs getting cut by Kenny and my songwriting career, you know, started up. So it all kind of circles back to Lionel. That's, that's great. Yeah, the book was, I mean, for a book that was devoid of like scandal and, and typical rock star drug stories, it was just like you put all this positive energy out and you envisioned all this shit that you wanted to do and then you made it happen. And it, well, that, it, all, all that I, other stuff is going to be in the second book. Yeah, I was going to say just because there, you know, he left some things I think tastefully out. It doesn't mean that he didn't encounter people who tried to block him and who tried yeah. to hold him back and who weren't supportive. There were those people, but it's almost like why focus on that when there's so much good to tell? Right. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's a that's a cool way of looking at it. But I'll be honest, as a reader, I kept waiting for like, oh, I just want this fucking guy to have like one set. Can he have one setback? Can he <laughs> can he put his mind to one thing and not accomplish it? And now you started talking about your kids, and I was like, all right, here it goes. Like maybe one of them will be like one of those dickhead Chet Hanks kids. Like, but no, nope, they're all like successful musicians. You have this amazing relationship with them finally at the end of the book you were like i'm paraphrasing but you said something like overall i'm i'm really just happy with my life and career i wish the critics had taken me a little more seriously as a rock artist i fucking spiked the kindle i was like that's it (laughs) it's like there's a setback he wasn't taken as seriously as he hoped that is very funny yeah you know look it's as Daisy said, it's not like I didn't have shit go down that was unpleasant or, but I didn't focus on that in the book because it really was not the focus. It was not the focus of my life or the highlights of my life. They were the sort of subtext. And even the, there were a couple people, you know, one in particular who was a real sort of hindrance and backstabber. And and I went, you know what? I'm not even going to reference him in the book. And that'll really burn his ass. Yeah. That will, oh, yeah. that's. I think I'm not a business manager, but Daisy, I think you write the tell-all, the Richard Marks tell-all that just oh, that 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 that. all the negative. That be like, here's how it really was. All right. Yes. I'm gonna say the things he doesn't want to, and just let let him have it. Good I think idea. that's a great idea. Yeah. I have no problem with that. Daisy, I don't know why, and don't don't take this the wrong way, but sometimes maybe I'm wrong, but I get the impression like, are you? Sometimes I picture you must be like Melania Trump, like just like, can you just get the fuck off Twitter for two minutes? <laughs> are you ever like, yeah, 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 yeah? I want to check back with you guys on Christmas and see if you have just stark white trees. <laughs> if, you, if you could show us your rose garden right now that would be wonderful if you could just take us no, out you know, that. Is, that a, is that a euphemism by the way yeah, oh yeah, yes yes it is 100 percent. i had a couple of problems with with uh, uh, uh i mean i i really i think that one of the secrets to our relationship is that i truly admire i think it's mutual i think i won't speak for you but i truly admire and respect him we met later in life so we were, you know, we met when we were fully formed adults. It's not right. like, you know, sometimes you can grow with someone. Sometimes you will change certain things with someone. But with him, it was like, you know, this is, he's got so much history from before I even met him. Um, but there were a couple of things that I did confront him with. And I said, you know, I'm, I'm concerned. Well, one thing I was like, I clearly don't like this. He's got great, a great sense of humor. 
But some of his sense of humor when I met him was very self-deprecating mm -hmm. uh, regarding his career, especially. And I was like, and he said, yeah, this is funny. Nobody takes this serious. And I'm like, I don't care. I want you to stop, please, for me. And so he toned it down a little bit and he's still very funny. He will still be a little self-deprecating. But for me, he kind of toned it down because I really, I don't, I, I don't like that. I don't think anybody should be that self-deprecating, especially when you have a career that, that you know, in our career, in the entertainment industry, how you perceive yourself is how other people perceive you, 100%. And so I didn't, I didn't like it, and so he did tone it down. But then with Twitter, I was like, I, I thought, okay, you're really great at this Twitter stuff. I get it. It's great. But I worry because there's so many freaking psychos out there yeah. and you're always out and you're always touring the world and i worry it's like why are you gonna piss off people who don't need an excuse to be pissed off you know i know you're joking and a lot of it is you're being humorous but i did those are the two things that i really i was like okay can we just tone it down <laughs> <laughs> but can i can i answer that because yes first of all of course it, we have a mutual I, I adore you and i admire and respect you but your intellect your sense of humor <laughs> but here's the truth guys this is, just, this is just one of countless examples she'll see something that i've tweeted to someone in response, I never go after people. I don't ever attack a random right. person unless they're a politician, they're, they're, they're fair game. But I never attack anyone unless they insult me first. And, mm -hmm. and I try to have fun with it in response. And Daisy will, you know, every so often see something and go, really, really, you gotta like blast Joe from Oregon who has 11 <laughs> followers. And then within an hour, as she's reading through the thread, I'll see that 15 minutes later, while we're lying next to each other or sitting, hanging out, she will have attacked some woman calling her a twat. <laughs> and I'll go, okay, so wait a minute. Or so, a man. Or a man. I don't attack women. She, yes, it's gender neutral. Yeah. And I'll say, really, Daisy? So you were just busting my ass about this and you just attacked Maria, <laughs> who has four followers from Hackensack? And she was like, but she was a twat! <laughs> she was. say not as I do. Exactly. That's right. That's right. Now, was there, was there a moment, and by the way, I, the thing I love about Twitter is it's in real time. You're seeing it unfold. So if somebody, especially if it's two celebrities, two people be followed, you see this happen. So one of my favorite things is I'll see somebody think they just dunked on Richard Marks, and I'm like, oh, this isn't going to turn out well. This <laughs> it's like, oh, and then you just sit there and you refresh, refresh. Come on. <laughs> Here it comes. And then it's just, it's. I it's, rarely disappoint you, though, right, Chip? Ne never. I've never been disappointed. Now, was there a moment? moment of course how, how can we how many moments in the past five or six years have there been but was there a moment where you just decided all right i'm done with this i'm just going full bore uh, on twitter about this because it is so hilarious and it is so you know we we lived in a hellscape the last six years was there do you remember a moment where you're like I, all bets are off i'm just having fun with this now and we're i'm really going to go for this. i'm not going to worry about being yeah. peace or anything was it do, do you remember a, a, a moment not particularly. In fact, I remember the opposite. I remember there, there have been a couple of times over the years where I've just went, you know what, this is just diminished returns. And it's just, uh, it, if it were, a, if it was a particularly toxic uh, period or, or topic. Um, but for the most part, I just sort of gradually 
felt my way through it. And, and also, luckily, I have uh, a supportive wife in that regard and my manager who, you know, you would think that I'd have a manager calling me going, dude, you got and it, it, quite the opposite. He thinks it's hilarious. And oh, that's great. And at the end of the day, he also knows that. And this is something worth mentioning. If you come see me live, there is you'll never hear me talk politics on stage. Mm-hmm. I don't think it's I, I, and yeah. I don't. I don't knock artists who do include that in their show. That's their prerogative. That's fine. And I don't mean just mean Bobby Brown. Um, <laughs> but that's just for me not, that doesn't feel right to me. People are paying money to see me perform and make them laugh and sing songs that they came to hear. That I, I don't, I just don't think that that's the time or place. But Twitter, all bets are off. I can be, I can say whatever the fuck I want. And if you don't like it, there's the scroll option, you stupid fucking asshole. <laughs> exactly. And, and that's why, to a much lesser extent, you know, I, I'm, we're stand, Ken and I are stand-up comedians. It, it just got so much, and people were so in the weeds that I don't think anybody on either side really wanted, unless it was a really great joke, they didn't want to hear it. They were out of the club to yeah. forget about CNN or Fox News for a while. And, yeah. uh, you know, I didn't get to, but then... On Twitter, like you said, I, I'm going to let loose because I, I need to let people know how I feel. So it is a nice dumping ground in, in that respect. One of my favorite um, videos from our friend George Hahn, who I mentioned, is him doing – and he always sort of takes on the persona of a Trumper, of a MAGA. Yeah. And he'll say, you know, I'm just tired of these celebrities and voicing their opinions, and I don't want to hear anything from these celebrities. <laughs> Except for Scott Baio or, <laughs> or Ted Nugent or Kid Rock. Other than that, stay in your lane. Other than that, stay in your lane. Yes. Yeah, it is. It is funny when uh, you see it on Twitter, too. You, you'll see people retweeting those same celebrities while, while telling you to, to stay in your lane. Yeah, it's hilarious. Like you're not allowed to have an opinion on shit. My First Amendment right does not apply the way theirs does. It's, it's totally different. Yeah, 100%. My favorite thing I think ever, possibly my favorite tweet of all time was, uh, I forget, you had tweeted something political and somebody wrote, and who are you again? And you wrote, <laughs> you wrote, I'm the guy whose music your wife used to fuck to before she met you. <laughs> <laughs> that, See, now Daisy loved that one. That was, it might be the all-time greatest tweet. You guys, my, one of my favorite things is, and it, luckily it happens, you know, pretty frequently. I'd say at least once a week, Daisy and I will be having dinner or just hanging out, and I will do one of those. And as soon as I hit tweet, I'll show her, and she, her laugh, it's what I live for now. <laughs> she laughs so hard, and that's when I just, it's such a sense of accomplishment. I crack her up. She loves it. I do. <laughs> um, now, how are how are you enjoying? Uh, tell us a little bit about uh, Tequila Talk, so everybody, because it's it's a great. I, I've been loving it. Um, uh, how how did that come about? Did you just decide that you were going to jump into it, or or uh, you wanted to bring people into your conversations? Go ahead, tell me. Well, we we started doing a couple of of lives during uh, lockdown. Uh, early in the pandemic, early in lockdown, when everybody was really kind of freaking out and wondering what was going on and how long this was going to happen, we were having a couple of tequilas and feeling particularly sassy. 
and decided to go do an Instagram live and it went over well. So we did another one and it went over well. People were saying, oh, do more of that. It's so fun to be able to talk with you and have you kind of answer some of our questions. And I guess that's that just turned into what Tequila Talk is. You know, I guess um, we we enjoyed it. People seemed to enjoy it. And we were approached about it and said, why not? We're having fun with it. That's it. It was that simple. really just kind an of extension organic. of... Yeah extension of a couple of Instagram lives and and we would be by the way it's just that we record it and post it on a podcast network it's the same shit that would happen on a nightly basis anyway right <laughs> but we have a drink and we talk about stupid shit yeah and sometimes serious shit and we pick, and we pick each other's brains about issues Random and topics things. and you know there's a you know especially so, when you're even though Daisy and I've been together as she reminded me the other day for eight years, which blows my mind. I know. Because it feels like it was just a couple of months ago. <laughs> um, we're still really learning things about each other and and questioning each other about, because there's just an endless supply of topics. And I, we found that the people who subscribe to our podcast and, and our regular listeners, they really, really love the relationship conversations. Because that's a really... Fan, what's the word? Um, universal. Not just universal, but it's uh, it's an endless supply yeah. of mystery yeah. and how relationships work person to person. And it, it's a pretty vast, complex topic. Yeah. And we enjoy sort of breaking it down and talking about like, why do you think people who've been married four times, like, why do you think particularly men who've been married four times have basically married the same woman four different times with just <laughs> slight variations. You know, the psychology behind people's decisions in romantic relationships is pretty Cause, fascinating. Because th yeah. those guys don't even realize it, I'm sure. Like, they, yeah, no, they wouldn't even see it if you laid yeah. all the evidence yeah. out in front and of either them. either do the women. Either do the women. Like, how do you not realize that you're just a slightly younger version of the last two? Yeah. How, do you, <laughs> right. how are you not aware of, oh, shit, like, oh, well, she kind of looks like me. Or I look like a younger version of her. Like, there's no awareness. Oh, wait, I'm just like her, but childbearing. <laughs> oh, and now I'm pregnant. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> so uh, we, we really enjoy it because it's, you know, I, in my career, I have always been a part of a show part of a production where it's always very produced and there are rules and there are things you know i'm basically there to move the show along i've got a job to do and that's it and i love tequila talk because there's no filter there's no filter and we'll talk about something topical that's happening today we'll talk maybe a little bit about something political but then all of a sudden we'll go like why is water wet you know and yeah. it'll be like any conversation can spring up from anything <laughs> <laughs> Daisy was M was MTV like a dream job for you? like were you an MTV kid or was it just another just another gig It definitely was I remember having it on everywhere Yeah um I I of course MTV started what in 1981 so all through high school it was mm -hmm. it was just on everywhere you went at home um in in stores and restaurants and bars everywhere you went it was up 
and so I, I loved it and I thought it was just um, so new and so fresh and pop culture news and, and I didn't realize that it was making pop culture history but clearly it, that's what it was doing and I think like very much like Richard I manifested it into my life because I just I, I saw myself in, in, the, in the situations that those kids were in. I thought what a great job until I basically put a tape together, sent it in and said, hey, I'd love to audition one day. And the tape was all in Spanish because I'd been doing a little bit of Spanish television. Mm -hmm. And lucky for me, they were putting together a Spanish version of MTV that I was not even aware about, that aware of. So that's how I kind of got so my foot in the door. So you essentially Daisy Fuentes that shit. Yeah, no, I Richard Marks that <laughs> she shit. She Richard Marks that shit. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna Richard Marks that new saying into Daisy Fuentes. Yeah. It's, it's no longer the Richard Marks. It is now the Daisy Fuentes. I think it's there, right? Uh, Richard Marks, I read, um, I was, uh, I just watched, uh, there's that fantastic documentary on the Eagles, the history of the Eagles. And, uh, Don Henley said something where he said he, he didn't like MTV cause he, he came, you know, he was a seventies musician. He considered himself a songwriter first and a musician second. And that's all he thought that the job ever required. Um, and then when he sort of had to become an actor for videos, he recognized it was a necessary evil, but he resented that it took away just from being seen as a as a regular musician. Um, but you sort of your career kind of came about just as MTV was was exploding. So I'm, I'm what was your view on on making videos? Well, similar. I, I never enjoyed it. I always hated it. But, you know, no disrespect to Don, who's a brilliant, brilliant songwriter and a great singer. But th that sort of rhetoric, I always found it puzzling. It's almost like saying, it's like being a guy who constantly cheats on your wife, but you resent adultery. You know what I mean? <laughs> right. It's like, if you really resent it, don't do it. Right. You know, I didn't like doing it, but I certainly didn't bitch about it. And I, it was, it was, when, when I came along, it was a few years, you know, 10 years after the Eagles, or 12 years or more after the Eagles really broke. And I didn't really, to, to me, it was a choice between, do I want to have a really successful career? Or maybe not. Because to say, to, take, to, to, to draw that line in the sand in 1987, when my first record came out and say, well, I'm not going to make videos because I don't enjoy doing them, or I don't like what they represent, then I should just go play in coffee houses and, you know, and be happy. Right. I always think that that's, uh, that's something that, that famous people do, or people in the entertainment industry. You hear it a lot from models, actors, performers, musicians, where they feel like they have to be humble about like, oh, I just don't like being the center of attention. And I'm always, I always call bullshit on that because it's like, well, of course you want the attention. Look what you do, it's right. what we live for. You know, like that's like when I was in, in my 20s and I was having my picture taken, I was modeling and I was doing endorsements. It's like me saying, oh, I just really hate it when they take my picture. I'm like 22 and really cute. Like, really? <laughs> and I'm making tons of money and traveling. And I'm going to complain about people taking my, I always thought like, you know what? Don't be so humble. You're not that great. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, to that, to that point, for years now, I started doing these solo acoustic shows in addition to band shows. Mm -hmm. And most of the solo acoustic 
shows I do are in these really beautiful performing arts centers. And over decades of performers playing in these venues who complain about photography or video or whatever, there's this canned recording that I hear constantly when I'm about to take the stage where they say to the audience, please, flash photography is prohibited, whatever that right. thing, right? I come out, I do my first couple of songs, and the minute I have my, the minute I greet the audience verbally and talk to them, I say, let's get one thing out of the way. You can fucking take my picture all night. <laughs> Bust out the video, post that shit on YouTube. I, I got into the music business because I fucking want your attention. <laughs> I put product in my hair. I'm, I put on a nice shirt, like take my fucking picture. I don't know who the fuck. <laughs> Who says that? Yeah. No, don't. I don't want. No, no, please don't take my pic. Fuck you. I mean, now I say that, but back then I didn't say that. Now it's kind of like, oh God, that's what I look like now. Yeah, there, there's <laughs> a lot of. High def now. Why did you have high definition when I was 22? Which is funny because Ken, Ken is sitting here saying to himself, but wait, didn't you an hour ago text me and say, you're not videoing this thing? Right? <laughs> <Yeah>. Please, no <laughs> videotape. Yeah. I'm live streaming this right now on my TikTok. So. Awesome. <laughs> there are, no, there's, you, there's a lot of artists now that um, you got to put your phone in those pouches. Like if you go see uh, Jack White or any version of Jack White's bands, they, they take your phone. They're put in those patches in those pouches. You can't access them. Are they that them. bad? Yeah. <laughs> no, oh, <laughs> I think that they're you know they they don't like having the footage leaked on YouTube or whatever. But I, I got news for you. I went through a really brief period about ten years ago where I, I for whatever reason, and maybe it was just sort of being influenced by some of that rhetoric by other artists. I started to see that every time I would do a show either the whole show or a bunch of clips from the show would be on YouTube the next day. And so for a brief period, I, I would have my manager take it down mm -hmm. because I didn't want the show to be given away that way. Right. And then I went, wait a minute, wh who cares? First of all, it's like free promotion for the show. I, if I saw a clip from somebody's show on YouTube with shitty sound and shitty photography, I was like, wow, that's pretty good. I'm going to go see them. Yeah. Yeah. So I tell people now I encourage it. All day long. And I think you had mentioned the book that, you know, when you started doing those solo acoustic shows, it gave you the opportunity to to tell those stories, to have rather than just banter, to really get in and have that relationship, a more intimate relationship with Brad. Did, was that a learning curve for you or did, did you have a lot of revelations of like, oh, I can say this type of thing or I shouldn't say this type of thing? Were there any nights where it went one way or the other where you were you were learning to have that longer banter with the audience? Yeah, I, mean, you know, I think it was a pretty natural progression. I always, even back in the, maybe not in the first couple of years when I was basically just more, you know, more focused on pouting. And I mean that in a, like a sexy way. Like, <laughs> I, you know, and I was, I was obviously very concerned with the songs and the musical performance and my singing. But in between, uh, it was nothing but cliches. It was, I was literally doing what everybody else was like, are you guys ready to rock? And bullshit like that. And and every once in a while, I'd say something, I'd, I'd make a quip or something, but uh, it took a few years for me to feel comfortable enough to just let, let me be myself on stage. Mm -hmm. And I saw an immediate shift and reaction, and people started to, I could just feel it. And 
And then when the solo acoustic show started to happen, it changed everything for me because it's, as I've said a million times, at, from that point on, the show to me was what happened in between the songs. Because mm -hmm. if you come to see me live and all I do is play the songs that you came for me to, to hear and I don't really talk or interact with you or kid around, then you might as well have stayed home and listened to the records. There's nothing, right. that's, I, I don't want to see a performer like that. One of my favorite things to do is to sit backstage or side stage and watch the audience because they are so captivated and their reactions are so genuine from laughing to crying to hack, like when they when they totally like just jump in and, and kind of set up a joke for you or whatever. Yeah. Um, I, I really enjoy watching the audience. It's you, you really capture everyone and that's tough to do. Well, it's just to answer Chip's question, it was a it was a gradual thing where I just got more and more comfortable with it. And it always, even though there are stories that I tell consistently, mm -hmm. the show is really, Daisy can tell you, it's show, the show, the solo show is so freeform. Yeah. And my favorite thing is when somebody yells out something stupid or funny or, because it's, that's what's really memorable about a yeah. night like that. Right. That yeah. audience will go home and go, oh my God, it was so funny when that girl yelled out, blah, 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 and he yeah. said, blah, 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 You're blah. always really present that way, you know, where, yeah. yeah, you have your kind of setups for each songs and the stories that you know you want to tell. So you have produced yourself in a way where you know what you want to say, but any, you know, because it is such an intimate show, I love when people yell out stuff and they just kind of- and, Unless they yell out the punchline to the story. <laughs> yeah. That pisses right. me off. You guys as comedians can understand yeah. that. Yes. Oh, sure. Yeah. yeah. Cause in my, you know, I'm grateful that there are people who come to see my show repeatedly, mm -hmm. but if you're sitting in the front row of my show and I start to tell the story that the rest of the audience hasn't heard and you yell out the, the funny punchline, you're an asshole. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Right. Yeah, but you know those people do that in their life anyway, and they can't help yeah. themselves. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Chip and I don't have a lot of repeat business. We don't. I don't. I don't worry about somebody yelling out. If someone sees me once, they're like, "I, I think that's enough." <laughs> we've had it. We've, we've had it. <laughs> I think we got a beat on this guy. Now, yeah. By the way, speaking of going in and you know improvising there, you. I, by the way. Uh, Ken read your book. I listened to your book, the, the audio book. And I have to say, I just disappeared a few times over the last few weeks. I would just walk through Philadelphia. I live in South Philly. Yeah. I would go for walks and listen to, to your book. And I usually go for my morning run and my morning walk, do a few miles. And there was a couple of times where my wife literally got worried. She's like, where are you? Like, did you, are you okay? I'm like, I'm listening to Richard Marks. All right. Can you let me, I just, not even his music. I not as yes. I'm just, he's just talking. And it was, it was just so captivated. I, I, Ken and I, we, we, we kept talking about how, how great the book was. And uh, when you were reading it, when you were literally doing the audio, uh, do you, A, do you have to stick to the exact text? And were, you know, obviously there were, there were moments where you, where you sang, there were some inflections, there were different things. Were you able to uh, improvise at all? Or, or is that something where you have to stay directly to the text? No, I had to stay, I had to st stick directly to the text. And it was interesting because there were a few times when I was reading the audiobook. And now by the time you get to reading the audiobook, your days of revising anything are long over. And I would be reading it out loud. Not that I hadn't gone over these chapters. I wrote every word myself and I would read and reread and catch mistakes that the publisher made or that I made, whatever. 
But even when I was, even by that point, when I was reading the book, I swear to God, there were half a dozen times I was like, fuck, that does not read well at all. <laughs> like I really didn't form that sentence properly and I was dying to correct it verbally and I wasn't allowed. Yeah, I had to let it go it. at some yeah. point. I had, to sort of, I had to double down on how <laughs> fucking stupidly I wrote that sentence. <laughs> oh, well, if you say it with confidence, then nobody yeah. will. Yeah. We learned that in comedy. Just say it with confidence and people yeah. won't question yeah. too That's much. all it is. That's all it is. I had a, I had a question for you about songwriting. Um, yeah. I just read this amazing book on... Um, uh, Cheap Trick and Aerosmith and Kiss and and their how they changed the face of seventies rock, and um, they were talking about Cheap Trick. It, it covers up until the nineties or early two thousands, and um, they had to sit Rick Nielsen down, uh, the lead guitar player, and they told him that they didn't really trust him. They it, it, they'd had several albums in a row that didn't sell. And they yeah. told him they didn't think he could write a hit album anymore, and they were bringing in an outside songwriter. And it was either they agreed to it or the record label was maybe going to drop them. Yeah. Uh, and, of course, it was a big blow to Rick, Rick Nielsen publicly said it was a big blow to his confidence. It, I think it was, um, I hope I'm getting her name right, Diane Warren, that, that lady yeah. who wrote everything yeah. in the 90s. Yeah. And um, she gave them that number one song, The Flame, which that's you know, actually not a Diane Warren song. Oh, that's not. Nope. Oh, who's see? I'm a, this I'm is... a weirdo with the. I just know trivia shit like this, and I think that they probably did cut a Diane song, but the, but the flame was not written by. Oh, Diane. you know what? Maybe it was that. Um, it was between Diane and someone else, and they went with the. Uh, oh wait, here I yeah. got I got someone pulling it up for it me. It was not a cheap trick. It wasn't any of the members of the band who wrote the flame, but it no. was not. Diane. Oh, Bob, Bob Mitchell. I wasn't even close. Bob Mitchell and Nick Graham. (laughs) (laughs) I have to, so I have to stop um, eating edibles before I read books. (laughs) I, I listen, I listen back to the episode we did on you and I realized like, like half of everything I said was, I can't remember, but, and then JL would jump in with the, with the correct information. (laughs) But I, oh, wait, no, it says... Diane Warren, Songwriters. Oh, Ghost, different song. It was a different song on the same album. I wasn't that far off. Right. But, okay, so my question for you is, were you ever on that, on the other end of it, where you were the songwriter brought in to to help somebody's career that was in the doldrums, and then you had to deal with their egos? Oh, that's a good question. Um, A little bit. I mean, the two things that come to mind were not... Uh, one of them was a brand new band called Vixen mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. in 1988. They were signed to my label, EMI, the same label I was on. And they were an all-girl heavy metal band. And they had finished their album. And they were the, the label was dragging their feet about releasing because they felt like they didn't have a, a lead-off single. They, they didn't have a real hit. And so I was brought in to write and produce that single which was called edge of a broken heart i wrote it with my buddy fee wayville and i produced it and i ended up i actually write about it in the book i had to uh the plan was for me to to work with the band and have everybody participate they were pretty welcoming about it they i think that the girls understood that i was not the interloper i was being assigned to help them out um when we got in the studio it became clear, and I only had a 48-hour window because I was touring 
Uh, I flew to LA to, to cut this whole track and mix it in two days. And I had to bring in an outside sort of what we call a gunslinger, a uh, session guitar player to kind of save the day. And it caused a tremendous amount of upset in the band and they were pissed off at me. And But they ended up having a huge hit. Right. Edge of a broken heart. Of a broken heart, yeah. And then the other one that comes to mind is uh, a couple of years later, I the the band Poco reformed and I had worked with Randy Meisner mm -hmm. on my first single don't mean nothing and so they asked if I would come in and write and produce a, a single for them as well and I thought going into it because I was dealing with guys who were a little older than me Jimmy Messina and Richie Fure and these guys who had had great success in the 70s and I thought I felt a little like this kid being brought in i felt a little uncomfortable yeah but they didn't they were just really i, I think the one that everybody warned me was going to be the biggest pain in the ass was jimmy messina and he turned out to be a, a dream to work with he was so welcoming and so great so i have i don't think i really had that uh experience like you're, you're talking about um luckily it, my experience is collaborating with artists or producing other artists or coming in to write songs for other artists has been 99% positive. I'm sorry to disappoint you. <laughs> no, yep. no, I was just curious. <laughs> yeah. You know, like I, I've written for, for other people sometimes, and I enjoy writing for a different voice. When you collaborate with somebody, especially across genres, you, you, you're writing for, uh, you know, a boy band or, you know, pop music, uh, country. Are yeah. you, do you get in, do you write from their, this sounds like a stupid question, but do you write from their voice or are you being Richard Marks, writing a Richard Marks song and that they're going to then take, or do you really try to get into that genre or that headspace of that specific person? Yeah, no, completely the latter. I, I approach every artist who I work with or write for, I try to c come at it from a standpoint of a fan. Mm -hmm. And even if it's someone whose music I haven't really gotten into up to that point, I'll really get into their catalog of what they've done. And I try to approach it as a fan saying, what have they not done? Or what have they only done once that I'd love to see them do a similar thing again? Mm -hmm. And that's always been my MO going into- Even across genres too. I think it was, cause I, there's a song that sticks with me that when when you talked about this in the book, it was, was it Stay, the U2 song, I think, that you, yeah. you were writing, which is such a great song, but for for both of you to have that idea of like let's find something of that ilk to, to you know to apply to a completely almost different genre i thought that was that was really interesting yeah and, and i'm glad i remembered that because when i was going through, when i was writing the chapters about working with keith urban it just occurred i just remembered it i remembered that we were a little stuck we were at his house and we we worked on something for a while, for a couple of hours and it was okay it just wasn't like you just know when it's mm -hmm. okay or when it's fucking great. Yeah. And we took a break and I said, you know what, can we just shift gears here for a minute? And I said, I've always been, wa I've been wanting to try to write something for you that's kind of like Stay by you 2 And he, the look on his face, he was like, he calls me Ricardo. Ricardo, <laughs> holy shit, man. He said, this morning, my producer referenced that song. And said maybe we could we should try to find something for you that's like that. So then we wrote this song called Everybody, which is, it's not a ripoff of Stay by any means, but it's it's the vibe inspired us. Mm -hmm. oh, that's great. That's that's amazing. Daisy, do you have any musical ability? You play anything? Um, 
I dance. I sing. I, you know. She dances really well. No, she, I she mean, I don't so do well. any of it well, but I love to do all of it. But you know what she does do well? And she didn't even know until she uh, met me. She's a really good <laughs> lyricist. We've written four songs together. Well, I just contribute some lyrics. She writes the best lines. Because Daisy, uh, when we the first song we wrote together was um, right after we started dating. And I was making an album called Beautiful Goodbye, and it ended up being the title track. And I had written the music and the melody and the track was even cut. And a lot of times that'll happen with me. I'll go in and like flesh something out musically to being finished, but with no lyrics. And then I let the music tell me what the lyrics should be. And so I was, we were, I was taking her to dinner and I played her the track and I was singing along, singing the melody against the track. And she went, oh, this is so sexy. This is really cool. What's, what are the lyrics gonna be? I said, I have no fucking clue right now. <laughs> and I said, the only, the only line that I keep singing in this one spot is, maybe this was meant to be a memory. And Daisy looked at me and she went, but everything is meant to be a memory. And I went, oh, God damn it, that's better. <laughs> and so so we, came, we went to dinner and, we, and I said, do me a favor, let's go back to your house and have some more wine and write this, write this song together. She went, I don't that, know how to write that this. old trick. That old trick. <laughs> let's go back to your place and finish this song. <laughs> yeah, you know what? I got a little cocky after and then he would say certain things and I'd be like, no, that's really good, but it's so songwritery. Let's just do something that's not so songwritery. <laughs> It's almost too good. Let's, I would let's make it a little shittier. Let me contribute something. I would come up with like this super poetic line, unlike you've ever heard these words put together. And I'd be so proud, and she'd go, "It's yeah, it's really songwritery." <laughs> Daisy, you gotta be. It's it's good that you it's good that you hooked up with a solo artist, so nobody. Like nobody's, you're not getting in the way of a band. Oh, I would totally Yoko on a kid out of yeah. band. For sure. Yeah, for sure. It would be a problem. You would Richard Marks that Yoko Ono right there. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, um, Richard, I saw, I'm, I'm, you, you've toured with Ringo and the all-star band. Yes. So I what do you, one. what Go do ahead. you do with him when, uh, I did one tour with him in 2006, I think it was. Um, you know, the, Ringo's been doing this for a long, long time. He does the all-star band is a band made up of artists who've all had hits themselves, who he puts together as a band to back him up. So everybody does a few of their hits, their biggest hits. And then you do Beatles and Ringo, song, Ringo songs. And... I had never played in anyone's band before, so I was puzzled why they even wanted me. But I went with it because I like to do things that scare the shit out of me. And that was the one, that was one of the only chapters I regret not writing. I really should have, maybe if I, you know, do anything else, I'll write a whole chapter about my relationship working with Ringo because it led to, the tour was a blast. The band that we had, I think was one of the best bands he's ever had, uh, that he, Claims was one of his best bands. It was me and Billy Squire and Edgar Winter and Rod Argent from Argent and uh, Hamish Stewart from the Average White Band and Sheila E. Mm -hmm. It was a wow. really, really fun band. And we had a blast. It was just over a summer. But what was really beautiful about it was that it forged a friendship between me and Ringo 
which is to this day. And, and, it, and then I think a year later, he called me and he said, would you like to write a song? I was like, fuck yeah. <laughs> and so we've written, I don't know, half a dozen songs together over the years that he's recorded. And he's just become a great friend. And, and he and his wife are lovely. And they, they love my wife, Daisy. We've had some really fun dinners with them. And he's one of the only people who I will unashamedly name drop. Yeah. yeah well, oh, sure. If, you, if you're going to name drop, name drop a motherfucking beetle. Yeah. You know yes. what I'm saying? Yeah, that's right. And so every once in a while, he'll he'll call me. And sometimes I deliberately let it go to voicemail because he always leaves me a voice message. And so then I'll play it for people. I'll go, so this happened today. And I'll play them. <laughs> it's always, and it always starts with, hi, Rich, it's Rich. Because his name is Richard Stark. Right. Right. And people call him Rich. I still call him Ringo, but he calls me Rich. I don't know why, but he always goes, hi, Rich, it's Rich. And he's 80 now, I guess. Jesus. Or he, 81. He looks amazing. He looks amazing. And he sounds amazing. He still plays he's his ass so off. so young at heart. It's so inspiring. Again, Ken's going yeah. to be so bummed out because I have nothing but beautiful things to say about my entire experience with him. Yeah, well... That's that's what I was I was wondering because you you were you were a solo artist. I mean, you've always been a solo artist and everything. So all that pressure is on you. Filling the seats is on you. Every detail has to get signed off by you. I was wondering how nice it must have been just to be a guy in a band and and not have any of the pressure on you and just get just get the fun and the adrenaline of, of playing with a beetle with, without, without you being responsible for shit. That must've been, that must've been great for you. It was amazing. And to play, I mean, to play Beatles songs and Ringo songs with him for him was truly amazing. But there was this other element, which was that every night I would, you know, we would, space it out. So Billy Squire would get up and do Everybody Wants You and we'd all play and back him up. And then it would come around to me and I'd be doing either Don't Mean Nothing or Should've Known Better and I would every night for 22 shows I would turn around and there's Ringo Starr playing drums on Don't Mean Nothing and I would just go, what the fuck is my life right now? <laughs> and that, that, was yeah. the, that was the song that you had all the eagles in for, right? In the studio. Yeah. How, how old were you when you cut that? Uh, 22. 2022 so you were still just a kid like does it even does it does the enormity of that hit you like does the importance of that moment strike you when you're 22 or are you just like oh well of course timothy b schmidt and randy meisner and joe walsh are here like of course my producer knew somebody and or or are you yeah like i, I think I think it's both, Ken. I, yeah. I, I, there was definitely an element of, and, and I remember hearing you talk about it uh, when you guys talked about my book with JL. There, there always has been an element of that. Not in a, I swear to God, not in, in an arrogant way, but like a, like a, I, I predicted this. I, I wanted this to happen. I've been thinking it. I've been making it happen. So there is a little bit of like, yeah, this is what I wanted. Of course, this is happening. This is what I wanted. And then there's also the holy fucking shit. This is actually happening. It's both. Yeah, I would. I would imagine, especially when you see Joe Walsh uh, playing your solo. I mean, that was just so bizarre that that it all fell together the way that it did. But uh, 
matching only, I mean, it was actually the enormity of that was bigger than this, but 20 years later, Joe asked me to come and do a charity event with him. And we did Don't Mean Nothing together, which was the first time we'd ever played it together live. And as thrilling as that was, he then said, hey, you want to sit in on Life in the Fast Lane too? I was like, fuck oh, yes. Wow. So that was even bigger for me, being, you know, playing guitar and singing background vocals on Life in the Fast Lane for Joe Walsh was... But I've had so many of those experiences as a, as a sideman, not on a touring level like with Ringo, but, you know, I've been on stage singing I'm All Right with Kenny Loggins, who was one of my vocal heroes. Mm -hmm. I've been on stage with any number of my heroes doing their biggest hits with them. And it never it is anything but humbling and just, I feel so lucky. Yeah, that's fuck, man. You've had a charmed life. It did, <laughs> it did get a little annoying reading. Like, not scoring a record contract till you're 22 isn't the... <laughs> Isn't the monumental yeah. hurdle <laughs> that, that you think it may have been? But they also gave you like full control. Like you had full creative control. You were allowed to produce your own album. I mean, yeah. to have that kind of vote of confidence, there's there's established bands who don't get that kind of control. And and for you to get it right out of the gate, uh, it, did you feel the pressure of that? It didn't feel like pressure. It was just felt like a gift. You know, the guy who signed me, Bruce Lundball. Um, it made sense if you think about it. I mean, he he signed me based upon what he heard that he loved. He, and he remember him saying to me, like, why would I dilute that? Why would I fuck that up? I'd be stupid. And so unless I fucked it up, he was going to let me go with it. And it just worked. You know, I was given a great vote of confidence and I didn't disappoint him. Yeah. Now, now um, I, I have to ask, you can answer this separately or, or together. Uh, the pandemic is over. Everything's done. It's some, somehow it's magically gone tomorrow. W what are you guys doing? What's happening? Hmm, good question. Hmm. I'm going to go lick some handrails for sure. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm really missing that. Oh. I'll tell you, uh, you can chime in here, but you know, one of the things that we learned through this was, first of all, we were really grateful to have each other and, and to, to be, to be living in an existence like we have. And if anything, it taught us that we need to do less than we were doing. Yeah. Like we really right. like being home and there's a, I mean, I'll answer first selfishly. I learned for the first time in my life to be still because I had no choice. Did you really though? <laughs> you started 11 podcasts <laughs> she's right about that yeah i learned that you're trying to you're still it's an ongoing process it's a practice it's a daily practice correct yes i learned that touring and doing live shows is not who i am it's what i do mm -hmm. right but i really miss it and so that is when when things do go back to normal and i'm back on the road playing, doing what I love. Plus, Daisy Fuentes comes with me all the time. She's mm -hmm. almost- Most all. of the time. Yeah. It depends on where I'm going. Like, if I'm playing in Paris, she's fucking there. Yeah. <laughs> Wichita, maybe um, not. Wichita, Kansas, maybe? <laughs> yeah. I don't know. <laughs> maybe she'll meet me in New York. Yeah. Or... Yeah. 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 Compromises. That's what makes a relationship work. Yes. 
She's very smart that way. So I, I don't know. I mean, I, there's nothing that we say, oh, the minute this shit calms down, we're going to do this. We're, no. I think yeah. I've learned to um, not to put things off too much. You know, we always think we have more time to do things. And um, sure. we're not getting any younger. And uh, you never know what's going to happen. So I, I just really, I, I want to do more of the things that I love. And I want to not do more of the things that I don't really want to do. Yeah. And mm -hmm. I think that um, we all get to that point. Sometimes it takes a little nudging. But, you know, yeah, I, I want to enjoy life a little more. I've been working myself since I was 19 as well. And I feel like I've earned the right to be a little picky and to just really enjoy my life before we get, you know, too old and we can't do yeah. shit. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know. Um. Richard, what's uh, what's your favorite cover version of one of your songs? Oh, um, Monica did a cover of "Right Here Waiting" in the '90s that was beautiful. That was really good. Monica, the R&B singer, mm -hmm. boy is mine. I loved her version of "Right Here Waiting." Uh, and then, okay, I'm going to shock you with this one. About two years ago. There's a song I wrote with my friend Fee Waybill, who I mentioned, who's the lead singer of the Tubes. Mm -hmm. And 15 or so years ago, I produced a few tracks for a Tubes album. And one of the songs was a song that I wrote with Fee, which was a ballad, which was rare. For, they only The Tubes have only done a few ballads in their career. And Fee and I wrote this song that I love so much called How Can You Live With Yourself? And... It never really went anywhere. The tubes hadn't had, you know, they were not having a, you know, a ride on the charts or anything like that. But I really am proud of that song that no one knows. And I found out that it was being recorded and released by Engelbert Humperdinck. Oh my God. Really? And I went, first of all, I went, okay, Engelbert Humperdinck is putting out <laughs> a new album and he's covering a fucking tube song that I co-wrote. <laughs> And you, it's incredible. Oh, you probably Richard Marks that shit. I'm in, in the, <laughs> yeah. I, I also I'm, really like a cover that you do, but of a song that you wrote, but someone else made famous. Um, uh, Keith. Um, Long Hot Summer? Yeah, Long Hot Summer. Oh, Keith yeah. Urban mm -hmm. sings the hell out of Long Hot Summer. I mean, he. It was a number one country it's, song. It's a great song. He performs it beautifully, but I almost like your. I do like your version better. Well, thank you. I'm glad but, you. Yeah. I'm glad you mentioned the tubes, Richard Marks, because I went back and um, I reading. I love when art gets you to work backwards. So, like, I was reading your book and you started talking about the tubes and how great they were and that act of kindness that Fee showed you in the studio, yeah. Um, yeah. which obviously stayed with you. And now, you know, you're you, you've been friends all this time, but. Then I was like, oh, yeah, the tubes. I, I used to love, uh, I only knew the one song from MTV. Yeah, she's a beauty. She's a beauty. So then I went back just last night. I was listening to all of their early stuff, and I probably listened to uh, White Punks on Dope like five times in a row. Anthem. It's classic. Yeah. It's such a great song. Yeah. There's White Punks on Dope. There's Talk to You Later. There's um, one of my other, Sushi Girl. There's oh my one of my favorite tube songs is a song called Out of the Business. So if you've never heard that, it's on the same album as She's a Beauty. Okay. It's called Out of the Business. It's such a great rock song. And Fee Weber was just 
he, I, he's my brother like that I never had. And I just had lunch with him a week ago. And he's still a great singer, great performer. In fact, I produced an album for him right before the pandemic, a solo album so good. called Fee Way Bill Rides Again. We wrote every song together and I produced it and you should check it out. He got great reviews and it, pe people love this album. It's really, it's a really fun rock and modern rock and roll record. Do you prefer doing, uh, coming in and sort of hitting and doing a, a song, a single with somebody or having control of the whole album? Doing an album, really? Sorry. <laughs> She's sorry. No, my phone just made she's, a sound. She's, she's skipping. She's she's bored. She's going through Instagram I'm, stories. I'm not. I just I um, meant to turn it off and it turned on. <laughs> uh, doing an album with someone is a lot of work. Yeah, I do love it, but but it has to be someone who I love spending time with, and the fees at the top of that list. Yeah. So, you know, historically, I've come in to do a track or two, and that's limited time, and I can really focus on it, and I don't feel like I'm you know, investing a big chunk of my life. But for Fee, you know, I, I would imagine we'll do another album in the next couple of years, I'm sure. Mm -hmm. That's great. For, yep. We it, just, go ahead. Go ahead. Go again. Oh, we just did. <laughs> <laughs> we just did an episode on Phil Spector. So I was wondering if you ever brandished a gun in the studio. <laughs> no, oddly enough. No. We're I brandished gonna... a mullet, but no gun. <laughs> Chip. Uh, I was actually going to ask, and this actually goes back to another podcast and our regular listeners are probably going to, uh, here's like a broken record, but, um, I, am always curious to hear people in the music industry. We did an episode, one of our first episodes we did on an artist named Joe Bryath. Are you familiar with Joe Bryath at all? No. I don't know how, like in the, it's, it's so amazing how people don't know about him. If you ever get a chance, he was, a this brilliant, I guess glam rock artist you would call. I mean, he was he was much more than that in the '70s. But uh, amazing story. We 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 watched a uh, a documentary about him that was just unbelievable. That he was this huge thing for about five minutes in the early '70s and was brilliant. And nobody yeah. nobody really knows about him now. So I think that's interesting. I, I was going to ask both of you: uh, is, is there anybody currently that you're listening to that you're really a big fan of? Whether you 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 went backwards and found somebody during the pandemic that you haven't listened to in forever, or a new artist that you're really we listen to new music. We listen to new music more than anything else. And it started. I was sort of like over top forty and new. I wasn't really listening to to much new music when I met Daisy, and that's all she listens to. And she we lo we both love classic R and B like Earth, Wind, and Fire, and mm -hmm. George Benson, and people like that. But um, we have Daisy. a great Buddha bar lounge playlist that we kind of keep, you know, for background. And it's just a, a blend of like world chill music. Mm -hmm. But I, I really do like when I get in the car to turn on the hit station, just, I want to know what's new and new music Friday. And I, I like, I like, um, hearing about the new artist and yeah. I don't ever want to feel like I'm too old and don't really know what's going on. Oh, sure. Yeah. <laughs> I will eventually, but <laughs> five or six years ago, Daisy was just all about Billie Eilish before yeah. Billie Eilish before really blew she really, up. Yeah. Really. I loved her. And uh, there's an artist named Tovlo that I really, really love who Daisy sort of turned me on to. And I still think is brilliant. And yeah, there are like, there are a lot of artists who, I mean, what we listen to mostly are, even even records, who we don't even know who the artist is, we just love that song. We love, and then we'll go and and add it to our library. There's this there's this Canadian duo. They call themselves Bob Moses, mm. 
And it's sort of electronic music, but it's really well-crafted songs. The the one of them is a guy named Jimmy Valance, whose father Jim Valance co-wrote all the Brian Adams hits. Oh Oh, wow! wow. And Jimmy Valance and his partner, whose name I don't know, formed this duo called Bob Moses. And fuck, I love their music so much. So they that's our sort of evening when we're settling down. We're gonna have a little tequila or a martini, and the sun's going down. We we put on the Bob Moses station and we love that kind of vibey music. Um, and Bruno Mars is the most talented guy on the planet. Oh, sure. I would say. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. All right. Well, listen, we know you guys are very busy. Thank you so much for doing this. This pleasure. This was, I know I was joking about Richard Marksing it, but, but to wake up in the middle of the night and see a DM from you on Twitter, like, Hey Ken, sure. I'd love to do the show that, that really did fucking blow my mind. And, um, this is really cool. I, I, I told you there was, there was a girl uh, in sleepaway camp when I was in the eighties who was in love with your music. And, uh, I asked her out and she went out with me for about two days and then she dumped me for some older kid. And it was like one of the first heartbreaks I ever had. So I just went to her Facebook page, like to check out. (laughs) Well, it it turns out she's dead, but. (laughs) Good night, everybody. But if she were here. (laughs) On that note. If if she were here, I'm sure she would love to know that that, uh, I I was able to sit down with Richard Marks and, and chat for a bit. Well, so, it was our pleasure. yeah, thank you so much for doing this. Uh, is, is there anything coming up that you guys want to promote? Our podcast, Tequila Talk. Um, and I'm not really, t- I mean, I'm doing a handful of shows. I'm doing a couple of shows this weekend, and then I'm doing five shows on the East Coast in October, unless the shit just gets worse and worse. But yeah. as of right now, I hit the ground running on February 1st. And as of right now, I have 91 concerts next year. Oh, that's wow. so great. That's great. Where are you oh, on the great. East Coast? Are you in New York Philly. at all? I'm going to be in Philly. Oh, all right. oh good. We're, okay, that's that's great. I don't know off the top of my head, but I know it's a, there's a New Jersey gig, there's a Philly gig. Oh, there's perfect. All in that region, Connecticut. Great. So, oh, okay. Uh, in late or middle of October. Okay. okay. Yeah, Let's we're go. gonna come. Awesome. Here. Yeah. Come and hang. Yeah. Definitely. Absolutely. All right, Daisy, Richard, right, Marks. Thank you so much. Thank, Thank you guys you so guys. much. Yeah. Nice talking with you. Take care. Bye. That was Richard Marks and Daisy Fuentes. Uh, make sure to check us out at Rock and Roll Pod, uh, with the and spelled out on Twitter, and um, just hit us up and tell us what uh, what stories you want to hear covered. Yeah, and follow us on Twitter. Uh, I'm at Chip Chantry and Ken Krantz comic. Yeah, and definitely, I'm telling everybody, definitely listen listen to or read Richard Marx's book, Stories to Tell. One of the most fun reads I've had in a long time. Yeah. All right. Bye, everybody. Bye.